Hello and welcome to episode four of Behind the Microphone with me, Hamish Percy. Today's episode is with Sky Sports News presenter and reporter Emma Payton. Emma has worked at Sky now for eight years, and as you will find out in the podcast, in every single possible role imaginable. I had a great laugh of Emma recording this podcast as she shared some of her reporting nightmares. As well as this, we discussed Emma's journey to how she became a Sky Sports News presenter and reporter, and it involves a tremendous amount of hard work, persistence, and in Emma's case, a lot of getting up at 3am. I hope you enjoy. Was becoming a sports broadcaster what you wanted to do from an early age, or were you interested in pursuing maybe other things? I know you're big into your athletics. Yes, you know me well. Like, yes and no. I was someone who loved sport, so I was kind of like that kid in school that every lunchtime I was doing you know, extracurricular activities. Every day after school, I was at some kind of sports club. So I loved sport. That was kind of where it came from. I wasn't by any means a 10-year-old sitting there saying, oh yeah, I really want to present news at 10. Like that's not really what was happening. But I just love sport and love watching sport. So that's kind of where it all came from, really. That kind of guided my A-levels and what I wanted to do at uni. So the whole time I was like, I really want to go to Loughborough. Like Loughborough is like the be-all and end-all for sports people. So I have to go there. And like you said, I was kind of doing my athletics back then as well so that was really where I wanted to be and I had no idea what I wanted to do I suppose I knew what I didn't want to do I picked to do sports science at uni but I didn't want to do any of the sort of roles that I suppose were associated with doing sports science like a PE teacher or I don't know nutritionist personal trainer I didn't want to do any of that but I was like I really like sport and you know I like PE at school love watching it love doing it so let's just go with that and then I suppose it probably wasn't until like maybe second year of of being at Loughborough. And I remember a friend of mine, a training partner, actually, who ran 400 metres as well. She'd done some work experience at the Daily Mail on their sports desk, and she really hated it. She was just like, it's just not for me, but I've kind of tried that sort of avenue now. And that's what really got me thinking about sports journalism and that kind of area. Not that I wanted to really be a sports writer, but I thought, you know what, if I don't make it as an athlete, maybe I can talk about sport present sport or or write about it maybe but that was the kind of thinking and then I suppose the last year of uni it was looking at courses and how I could kind of pursue that and there weren't too many courses around at that time so this was 2010 when I left Loughborough oh gosh that's a long time ago so it was kind of like looking at what courses were around that meant ultimately if I wanted to go to an organization like Sky or BBC I would have the right, you know, qualifications, I guess. So it meant I needed to do a course that was NCTJ. I wanted to do something. I didn't want to just do journalism. I wanted to do sports journalism. So I think there were like maybe two courses in the country at the time. One of those was in London at at St Mary's. So that's kind of how I got to that point. And I suppose it was all about staying open-minded at that time because I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into being, oh, well, I want to, I definitely want to present athletics on BBC. It was being really open-minded. And at that time as well, things were changing rapidly in the world. Like the the proposition of sport was changing, you know, a digital was just coming to the forefront as well. So it's kind of being open-minded about what opportunities might arise really. And lots did during that sort of, I I split the masters over two years because I thought it would be good for me to get work experience. I also needed to work so that I could pay to do the course. And as well, I wanted to continue my athletics to a certain degree. Different opportunities arose during that time. And I did a lot of work experience, obviously a lot of unpaid work experience, but that kind of ultimately led me to Sky in the end. But I suppose in a long roundabout way of answering your question, I didn't always know I wanted to be a sports presenter 
but I always knew I would be involved in sport some kind of way, you know. Okay, and uh, the decision to split your masters in two was that to focus purely on athletics or was it to focus on getting experience as well or a combination of the two so basically i you know you're looking at these different courses i said like i said there weren't many and it's it's expensive to do a master's degree like you know it's a lot of money so i was like on one hand i couldn't i couldn't live in london for a year and do the course i also had this thing in my head saying you haven't run as fast as you can yet like your 400 meter run, you've run like 55 seconds, but I think you can run faster. So I didn't want to kind of let go of that completely at that time. Um, so for the first year of the course, um, so I was like, okay, we'll split it. I can get a part-time job and sort of work out paying for this whole situation. Um, carry on the athletics, see where you get with that. And then let's just assess things at the end of this two years. Um, and like you said, get work experience as well, because at that time, like, any, every girl on the course wanted to be a sports presenter. You know, it, it was just tough. So I'd, I'd split my time. Some of the year I was staying in Loughborough and with one of my sort of former training partners for a few days a week and training. Then I would come down to London and I'd stay at a, another former training partner, a friend of mine who was a year above me, and stay on her sofa. And then the, the rest of the time, my mum had moved up north at this point. So she was living in Sheffield. So then I was up there doing a part-time job there. So I kind of had like these three stations throughout the first year. So the first year was quite heavily weighted. I had like probably more modules that year. The second year got like shorthand and all the scary things out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the second year, I kind of, I didn't want to keep staying at friends just because it was a lot and it was a lot of traveling. So what I would do was I was living, like I said, split my time still between Loughborough and then Sheffield at my mum's. And instead of staying, staying a night down in London, I would get a coach at like 3.30 in the morning from Sheffield. And, you know, these coaches from Sheffield, they were like four or five hours. So then I'd get to London, maybe like 7am. And then I'd travel to St. Mary's, do like a day. Dara managed to squash, Dara, the course leader, managed to squash all my modules into like one day to help me out. And then I'd get the coach back. So yeah, I split it over two years. That second year, I wasn't in as much. But I managed to kind of continue the athletics. I managed to get a lot of work experience done and I paid for the course as well. So that was kind of the thinking behind splitting. It was a number of reasons, really. It was, yeah, a, it was a long time ago, you know, so, um, but I think, oh yeah, actually, yeah, I remember I did that. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, 3.30 coaches, that sounds very tough every week, but. I just closed my eyes when I got on, yeah. so I wasn't too bad. <laughs> With, with regards to your sporting interests, I know athletics is obviously a big passion of yours, but are there any other sports you're particularly passionate about? It's really tough, right? Because athletics was like something that came easy, similar to football, because it's if you consume so much of it... It's a second nature, yeah. Your second nature, your conversation, you know, you'd be talking about things with, with any of your friends and anything. But, but athletic wasn't... I didn't actually see athletics as a realistic, in terms of on screen, as a realistic future. Yeah, maybe I thought I was going to be an athlete, but in terms of actually whether entering a career in sports journalism, or sports broadcasting, in terms of athletics, it wasn't, it just didn't seem that realistic to me because, you know, BBC have long um, covered athletics and they had their sort of set people that they went to. And I, I almost saw that as um, untouchable. You know, you had former athletes who were great, incredible athletes presenting the athletics. So I just thought, oh, I couldn't do that. Or Gabby Logan, who is, you know, one of my idols. So that wasn't really what I thought. I, In terms of when I was actually doing work experience, I wrote a lot of, about athletics purely because I managed to get athlete interviews and, you know, speak to people that I knew. 
But that wasn't really the route I was going down. You know, when I was studying the masters, that's when I really honed in and I really want to work for Sky. You know, this is this is really what I want to do now. And I knew that they didn't have well any athletics rights. It was a lot of it was you know very football heavy. Then you've got cricket, uh, golf, rugby, you know, and so on. So it wasn't really like athletics. It, that was more my hobby and my interest and maybe I'll make it as an athlete, but it wasn't really in terms of career-wise what I thought I was going to do and and end up talking about. I mean, I would have loved to, but who knows in the future, who knows? This might be a bit of a difficult question to answer, but if you were to have been offered a job purely covering athletics, would that have been something you jumped on or might it have been something you would have been a bit hesitant about because there might be a time in 10 or 15 years where you might not want to work in athletics anymore, but you'd have been specialising in it for your career. It's it's hard. I mean, if you would tell me back then, well, even now, I suppose, if you're just going to cover every single thing is athletics is so concentrated as in, you know, you've got a summer season and that's it really. And, you know, the rest of the year, yeah, you might have a few indoor races, but it's really just a mad summer of kind of competitions every other weekend. And then that's it. You know, so it's a little bit different to to other sports in that way. And, you know, the sad thing with athletics is that a lot of people are only really just interested every every four years, really, when the Olympics comes around, maybe every two years when the world champs come about. But, um, you know, I think, like, uh, obviously, if a job like Gabby Logan's came about, she presents, you know, all of the athletics on, on the BBC, obviously, I'd jump at that. But um, just it's just a love of mine, you know, and that just goes back to sort of childhood. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, then moving a bit forward in your career, when you got the job at Sky, you undertook like a variety. This is from my stalking. <laughs> Stop stalking me. Um, or research, researching, I'll call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, undertook a variety of roles before you then became presenter and a reporter. Did the variety of roles, like being a sub editor, did that help you kind of understand the whole process of what was going on? So when you became a presenter, you knew about everything that went on at Sky? Oh, yeah, honestly, like Hamish, I did every role. I felt like I did every role in that newsroom. Um, But yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, So when I started, I, my first role was as a sports journalist writing for the website and and for the Sky Sports apps. Um, So that was a really good kind of first role to have because digital was really just taking off back then. You know, Sky Sports had pretty much just put out these apps just around the time that I was joining. And even now, as in my role as a reporter, I write articles because once we've done an interview, maybe we write a feature or something else. So it's still part of my role today. But that was such a good kind of grounding when I when I first arrived there. And then it was only really, I was probably there for in that, in that role for six months when my boss said, oh, we need one, one person from our team to go down into the studio and kind of be a bit of a sort of interim role to connect digital to the TV, like what's going out on TV. Because at that point in time, you know, TV was just the thing that was, you know, linear. That was what we focused on. Whereas I suppose digital was a bit of an afterthought. And they wanted everything to marry up. Whereas now, you know, arguably there are things that you put just on digital and they, they're not for TV. But back then it was like, okay, guys, 
everything that's going out on TV needs to be going out on the website and they need to match up. Like we can't have discrepancies here, you know, because the website would, would maybe see some quotes in Marca in, in Spain about, you know, Ronaldo and, and put them up. But whereas the TV wouldn't touch that because they weren't our quotes sort of thing. So there was a role in the studio and they said, oh, would anyone like to go down into the studio? And I was like, oh, this is my chance. Like, you know, I, I kind of need to do anything I can to get closer and closer to being on screen here. So I took up this role in the studio and for, for, for six months. And then I got offered the chance to join a production team. So obviously in, in Sky Sports News newsroom, you have five different production teams. Three of those teams are early teams and a couple of late teams. So, so I got offered a role on a production team, which was the lowest role on a production team. So it was like a graphic sub-editor. So when you look at the screen, you've got side panels down the side, you've got you know the white ticker at the bottom, breaking news. It was, it was putting all these things on screen. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. That's fine. Like, this is my, you know, first step now to, to kind of progressing in the studio. So I did that for about six months and then moved into the role of sub-editing, which was then kind of cutting, cutting everything that you see on air, editing things, writing scripts for, for the presenters. So ultimately, having done all that stuff, you know, I was the one writing the scripts. I was the right one cutting the picture. And obviously during this time as well, I worked with so many different departments in the newsrooms, loads of different producers, Bearing in mind as well, on this on, on the production team I was on for five, six years, I, I had to start at 3 a.m. in the morning. So my alarm every day was 1.50, I think, my alarm. You should be used to that with the Sheffield journalist. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was, like, I was prepared for this. So that was tough because it was like, for years, it was kind of trying to progress in production, knowing what the end goal, what I really wanted to do. But in that time, trying to soak up like you say, as much as possible, that would ultimately help me, you know, when one day, hopefully I was on screens. It was, you know, I went from, like I said, those, those lowest roles to producing shows. And now when I'm sitting presenting, not only am I very grateful, I don't have to get up as early, but it's also knowing how things work. You know, I can easily just go in and write something myself or, you know, there are times when we have a lot of movement around the studio now, you know, one minute you'll be sitting at the desk, then you've got to go and stand at the hub or, you know, move to do something at a social media desk. And it was more like knowing what's coming up. And, you know, if there was breaking news or something, knowing more how to kind of manage it and deal with it. And just knowing little sort of techniques that I generally think if, if I hadn't had all of those years behind me from doing these other roles, that I probably wouldn't have worked out or things would be a lot slower, you know, a lot harder, I suppose. Gosh, wow. I really had no idea you'd done as many roles as that. My researching slash stalking clearly wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and when you have your scripts, um, do you find it more difficult when someone else writes your script uh, for you as perhaps it won't naturally be the way you would say it yourself? Yeah, definitely. And there are different producers as well. And, you know, you could, learning from, from working on production teams, one producer could write something one way and another producer would write it, would flip it and write it a different way. But I think, you know, in terms of when you're presenting as well, again, from having worked in production and worked these other roles, you want to come across as authentic and being you. You want people to see, when people are watching, I want them to be like, oh, I know exactly what Emma's about. So I want to say things that I'm comfortable, how I would speak, you know, not um, sort of just reading a script and reading auto cue like it's something that someone else has written. So I always try and, uh, you know, the, obviously it's, it's all in preparation, but making sure you've read anything you're reading as a presenter is something that you've seen before. You know, you never want to be in a situation where something just pops up and you're like, well, I've never even seen that before. How do you react then? So let's say you're literally presenting and there's suddenly some 
severe or really important breaking news how do you suddenly react to that because surely you wouldn't have seen it before yeah so i mean there are things there are things that you would be you know when say you're coming for a presenting shift you'd get in hours before which are some people probably don't realize they think you probably rock up and just go to hair and makeup and then like waltz on set but you'd get that hours before and there might be things that you know had been rumored or things that you might know are going to happen you know frank lampard's going to become chelsea manager or something like that but then there are things that obviously like no one can prepare for, like the night when Kobe Bryant died. You know, no one could have prepared for that. And being on set, that I wasn't on set that night, but that would have been just something that, you, you, you know, you either know, know some things about Kobe Bryant to, to be able to say, or you have to keep it very, you know, stick to what you do know. But I mean, it's more with things like that, that would be communication from the producer in the gallery who would probably, you know, in your ear tell you, right, we've got this breaking news. When are you ready to go with it? Are you comfortable with going with it right now? Are you comfortable going with it off this next VT in 30 seconds? You know, and that's about your communication. The good thing is a lot of the time is that you've got another presenter with you. So, you know, if you were to do a massive breaking news story, you'd have someone else to bounce off or, you know, at the moment with the, the pandemic that's going on, it's just sole single headers at the moment, single presenters. But it is dealing, it's learning, it's coping mechanisms as well, isn't it? Where you hear some breaking news and you sort of sometimes your immediate reaction is, oh my gosh, panic. Okay, what, what's going on? But, but you know, it's, that comes with the more you do things and, you know, it comes back to what you're saying about doing other roles before. I'd been in the gallery before when, when a footballer died or I remember when Wayne Rooney uh, retired from international football and that was really out of the blue and it was learning how to deal with things then aren't that different to how to dealing with it you know, when you're on screen and on air, you've just got to make sure you're you're not flapping on air and, you know, all of that is sort of below the surface, really. OK, and then moving on to kind of presenting styles, do you ever work on and, and train things like your voice, your posture, how you look, how you're standing? Is that something, yeah, you still work on to this day? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, you say still work on, like, I feel like, I know you've had some really big guests on here, um, but I'm very much, like, at the kind of... Um, I'm at the end of just starting out, I feel, you know. So for me, one thing I was lucky with is that I've got quite a deep voice. So it wasn't lucky when you're in school and people are like, oh my gosh, your voice is so husky. But now it's quite a good thing. Um, so the, the voice thing I was quite lucky with. But I remember when I was starting out and um, I think the first thing I ever did was maybe 2016. And I did a social, it was on deadline day. And um, one of the producers said to me, oh, you know what, we could really ramp up kind of our social media coverage, you know, if you've got any ideas. So I suggested interviewing some of the guests that were going to be on Sky Sports News, but doing a bit more of an informal kind of chat on the sofa and using, you know, getting a bit more out of the guests, basically. So 2016, I saw this as like my big kind of moment here. I was like, okay, yeah, I've got a few like decent interviews. Stuart Pierce is here. There are a couple of other decent names. Like, let's let's do a chat. And, and they went really well. But, you know, you watch them back and you're like, oh my gosh, why was I sitting like that? What was I doing there? What was, you know, what was I doing with this and that? I actually then got a, a chance to present. So I was on the early shift working in production and one of the presenters was phoned in ill. And the senior producer said, well, why doesn't Emma step in? And that was really like, what? Oh my God, okay. And again, um, that's what I thought was going to be my big breakthrough. But I looked back and... You know, you think, why are you standing like that? Why are you, you know, you're saying, I'm here, you're doing this. You, you kind of pick up on all these things that, I mean, you know, in all fairness, it was, you know, my first sort of ever things on screen. But you're just thinking, OK, these are little things that I need to cut out here. And I, t I talk about that kind of first step in 2017. But, 
you know, it wasn't till what, two years later where I got my, my official full-time on-screen role. And that took, I was sitting in, I'd sit in the Sky News studio where they did little sports bulletins and they, they'd be five minutes an hour. So the rest of the hour, they had the studio spare. So I'd sit in there and I would just read auto cue. I'd record it. I'd look back. Uh, I'd look at how I was sitting. I'd realise that like one shoulder was higher than the other, which it still is to this day, which is really annoying. But, um, and, you know, I'd realised there are certain, sometimes I would like tucked before I spoke or, you know, I didn't sort of pronounce my T's and things like this. And there are so many things. And even now I look and I think, oh, what is that? You know, yeah, there are a lot of things to work on, but also just to say to whoever's listening to this, you know, throughout my time at Sky Sports News, I did a number of screen tests and I was told at certain points, you know, yeah, I don't see that you're going to be a presenter here. You know, I don't, that that was what was relayed back because I, I didn't have any experience. I was going into screen tests, just thought, you know, I really want to be a presenter. So I'm going to have to do screen tests at some point. But, you know, there were comments about, like you said, how you were slouching or how you were sitting. And, you know, when you're first doing these things, you thought, oh, I didn't really think about that. But of course, it all comes across on air and, and it all makes a massive difference, really. So there are things, little pointers that I was told years ago or little things that I was told I wasn't doing. I still think about now and make sure I am doing, you know. So before you now go into presenting shift, do does everything kind of come a bit more naturally to you now or do you still have to remind yourself to do certain things before the camera is on you? I think you sort of learn to get a certain base. So now there's a foundation that I almost know I will sort of deliver on. But then, you know, it's constantly reinforcing things. And you know what it's like, the more you do things, the more you know, you get in a habit of doing things. Like, what do they say? Like 20, doing something for 21 days makes a habit or something like that. So it was more uh, reinforcing, you know, it's like positive reinforcement, isn't it? Keep doing the right things. And I'm someone, I'll look back at everything, you know, I'll record anytime I'm on, I'll record hours, you know, like my partner thinks I'm crazy. And it's like, well, I, you know, I just want to, I want to get better constantly. And especially with the reporting as well, because reporting is just way, stuff's way more out of your control in that environment as opposed to being in, you know, a controlled newsroom presenting. So the reporting side can be, can be challenging, you know. Yeah, but what are the, what are the challenges of kind of the job then you find? What are the main challenges of, of kind of a reporting presenting role? So like I said, I mean, the presenting is, is very much more controlled. I mean, you would have, there are certain things that you would need, you, you know, there might be nights where there are, three or four games taking place and you'd need to be across the games and there might be breaking news, like you said, things that, you know, you're not, it's just something that can completely come out of the blue. But with the reporting, um, you know, the amount of prep you do for presenting, I feel like with the reporting, you probably double that because you don't want to ever be in a situation, you're going to interview Jose Mourinho and he's not in a good mood or you've said, you know, you haven't said a good enough question, basically. You need to make sure your things are airtight. And um, I've had some horrific days reporting I mean obviously many many good days but there have been a few reporting I'll tell you about the time when I did a soccer special and soccer special if you don't know it's like a soccer Saturday but it's on an evening on a Wednesday night when there are EFL games Champions League games and um one of the producers of the show said to me oh would you like to cover a championship game you know you basically obviously you stand at the ground and they come Jeff Stelling comes to you and you do updates so I was like, oh gosh, that's, that's, that's really out of my comfort zone. And this was quite early on in, in this kind of role of mine, reporter-presenter role. But I thought, you know, it's good to be out of your comfort zone. It's good to test yourself. So yeah, you know, I'll say yes, that's fine. So on the day, it took me nearly three and a half hours to get to Bristol, bearing in mind it should be like a two-hour journey for me. 
So first of all, I missed the first thing I was meant to do. I was meant to interview the manager. So I thought, great, okay, cool. I'm late and, (laughs) you know, it's out of my control, but try not to panic. And then at Ashton Gate, the gantry where my cameraman was setting up was literally like in the sky. It was so far away from the pitch. I could just about make out players' numbers, but there's no way I could see the names on the back of their shirts. Luckily, obviously, I'd done a lot of prep and I had kind of like you know, the team sheet and everything. But I thought, God, this is really hard to see up here. But, you know, luckily we get a screen which shows replays and it shows the action. And then my cameraman said to me, oh yeah, sorry, the screen's broken. So you're not going to have a screen today. And I just thought, (laughs) I said, what do you mean we're not going to have a screen? And he said, yeah, I'm really sorry. You're just literally going to have to go off your eyesight. And I thought, oh, um, oh, really sorry. Is there, is there any way you can try and sort it out? And he said, no, it's no, like it's just not working. So I thought, okay, right, try not to panic here, Emma. Let's just, you know, it's going to be fine. Say what you see, you know, and it's fine. Those things are very quick. So, you know, producer normally will say to you, okay, Emma, we're coming to you in 10 seconds. Just, you know, tell us what's been happening. But there were times where you didn't even get that. And you'd hear Jeff Stelling in your ear go, right, let's go back to Ashton Gate where there's been a chance. (laughs) And I'd just be like, okay, um, yeah, I think there's been a chance. Uh, So, you know, and in in those situations, it's really like, you know, you've got to think on your feet here, sink or swim. So, yeah. you know, it, it was okay. It was fine. Nothing. There were no major mishaps, but I just thought, God, this is real. Um, you know, this is, this is, this has been a challenging night. And then to top it all off as well, um, did the post-match and that was all fine. Things were fine. I was on my way home and there was a road closure. So then I got sent my, by my sat down a country road. I got stuck in mud, Hamish. So I, I had to get someone to come and help me out. Um, and I got home like well, after, well, 12 hours after I left my home, like 3.30 or something in the morning. So that is one of the, that is an example of a challenging day in the life of a reporter, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well, I've got so many things to say about that. One, you and 3.30 just seems to be a thing in this conversation. <laughs> yes. At least you didn't have a Chris Kamara moment. I get, well, you're not, you're not viral on Twitter because of that. But, but but the thing is, right, the thing is that there is something to be said for honesty. So, like, you know, instead of sort of pretending you've seen something in that instant, instead of saying, oh, yeah, you know, it was a great chance, you, you know, it's much better to be honest and be like, oh, yeah, well, actually, Jeff, like, I've completely missed what's just happened, you know, because then you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't get it wrong, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if you do say it wrong and then let's say you say the wrong goal scorer, well, that looks way worse because everyone's going to be like... Right, exactly that, exactly that. Have you ever had an instance when you've been interviewing someone, you've asked a question they don't like? It's my worst nightmare. But this is the thing, right? Because, you know, there are certain things that you sometimes you're going to have to ask, you know, and there are obviously press conference, uh, press officers who, you know, will say, I don't want you asking about this, I don't want you asking about this sometimes. But there are times I've had to say, well, you understand, I'm, I'm going to have to ask about this. One recently I went to, I was covering the Chelsea Bayern Munich Champions League game. Sadly, haven't got to go to Bayern because of the coronavirus. But we, um, it was a massively busy press conference for Frank Lampard and for the Bayern Munich manager. And with the Bayern manager, obviously he's doing everything in German. But what you have in these press conferences, he, he would wear headphones. And if I asked a question in English, a translator would translate it for him. He then says it in German and a translator translates it back to us. And I asked a question and I think it was just very much literally lost in translation because I asked something just about Frank Lampard, you know, because I wanted to get an answer, him talking about Frank Lampard for Sky Sports News because that would have been a decent answer. Yeah. And 
he'd mentioned Frank in one of his previous answers and it wasn't anything long in terms of the translation that I heard. Mm. So I asked him about Frank Lampard and his response was, obviously, like I said, it had been translated back to him. He's then said it in German, it's been translated back to us, but it was very sort of short and I've just talked about Frank. I've just said he's this and that. And I was just like, I just wanted to sit in my seat and just kind of like curl up because the the press conference room was so busy as well. And, you know, people are looking around and you're just thinking, okay. Uh, And then and then I, I made matters worse as well, because then I followed up and said something. And he still didn't understand. So I was like, okay, let's just move on. (laughs) Oh, God, it always does seem so awkward. Luckily, I've never been in that situation. But even as a viewer, I remember when Saracens got fined five million for breaching the salary cap. Some of the interviews with Owen Farrell, who at the best of times isn't the most talkative, but he would be asked a question about it. And he would just death stare at the reporter. It was just so awkward. I actually went to Saracens maybe... It was in that whole time and we spoke to the head coach and but there was a whole room of journalists that everyone was just jumping on him. And to be honest, he did well because the press officer was coming in at certain times saying, look, we're not going to talk about that. And and Mark was very much like, oh, it's fine. I'll answer this and that. So I felt like we caught him on a good day, you know, um, (laughs) because I saw some of those. Even Eddie Jones is a good one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my claim to fame is the only time I've ever been to like a good kind of game I went to a Twickenham game of Barbarians versus Fiji and he walked into the, the press conference and he looked at me and and he said crikey cri- I try and do it in his accent crikey mate you look like you've just left school and then obviously <laughs> it's my first press conference obviously I look like I've just left school anyway all these journalists are laughing at me I'm there like sorry thank you I think I said yeah I apologize to him oh yeah so that well, was at least it was a positive well yeah, depends. What yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I'm hoping <laughs> if I ever see him again, I'll be like, "It's me, it's Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, just to end it, um, what makes a top presenter slash reporter? I think a lot of it is is persistence, really, because you know I, t- I mentioned earlier about those screen tests. You know, doing three or four screen tests and and. I was in tears after certain situations because I'd be like, God, I'm not, you know, this is my dream. I don't think these people realise they were completely smashing my dream, but, you know, this is really what I want to do. And, and it's not easy. And, you know, there were times where, you know, like I said, I worked in production for years, getting up at two in the morning and that's morning TV. I'm not, you know, and I was so lucky to be working in sport. I cannot complain at all. It's not a, it's not a hard job. You know, it didn't feel like work some of the time, but I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And, you know, some people live their whole lives never getting to where they wanted to get to, but it, it was hard and it was more the kind of persisting. And, you know, I said to you about thinking I'd got a break when I was put on screen uh, when someone was ill and then it still took another two years to get to, you know, where I am now, really. And they, they were probably the hardest years because you thought, well, I've, I've sort of done something now. And, you know, ultimately there wasn't a job available. It's not like someone would say, oh, yeah, you were good that time. So here you go. You can be a full time presenter now. You know, it's not realistic. But at the same time, I was really like, oh, well, I'm not I'm still not good enough. You know, I need to keep getting better. So I think persistence is a big thing. It takes a lot of work, you know, to get to, to where you want to be. In terms of, like you said, being a good presenter, you know, I touched on it earlier about sort of being likeable and, and be, having personality and not, you know, Sky Sports News ultimately is it's rolling news, but not being a robot and, and just sitting there sort of reading something, but being like, you know, I want, I want Hamish to watch and be like, yeah, I know, I know what Emma's about. I know, you know, I get her personality, you know, I get her sort of banter. Yeah, it's news, but, you know... What? you. 
Yeah, oh, sorry to interrupt. No. I just want to show that I've stalked you even further here. <laughs> oh, your pin tweet where you, you <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's good. See, it's a good though. job Mike doesn't have Twitter, yeah. right? Mike couldn't yeah. find it funny. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah um, I'm guessing that that wasn't anything scripted. No, but it's things like so, that, yeah. you know, like where, yeah. um, you know, that's... what for a viewer. Yeah. Like, and when it's natural. Exactly, when it's natural and it's not like you're just reading something. And I, that comes with time and being confident in yourself like backing yourself and being like I know who I am and you know I'll, I'll be myself but I think that's that's one of the big things being engaging you know as a presenter obviously obviously you have to be accurate and be prepared you know being prepared is one of the biggest things but yeah I'd say you know touch on the voice earlier you don't want to have a nice voice as well just so that you know people don't mind having you on even if it's in the background at home but yeah I think likeable is a big one you know well that's it for episode four of behind the microphone A big thanks to Emma for being such a laugh and sharing some really funny stories, as well as giving some brilliant tips on how to become a presenter slash reporter and a really clear insight into how hard you have to work in the sports broadcasting industry. Make sure to leave a review or rating and subscribe as there's still a few more episodes to come. See you later. Cheers. Cheers.